Well, good morning. That bumper video makes you just want to leave and go out sailing, doesn't it? So good to see each of you, and we welcome those who are online. And uh, I, I want to take you to Luke chapter 5. Would you look there with me today, please? We're in our second lesson on our All Aboard series, and we're going to call this uh, simply Revival on Board. Revival on Board. And we're going to pick this uh, text apart in just a minute. Before we do that, I want to just say thank you to you as a church and thank you to all of our workers, particularly those who work with our children. We know that we have asked of you some adjustments and uh, it's a little uncomfortable for some, but it makes it a little more comfortable for others. So I want to thank you for being other-minded and uh, being willing to kind of put yourself out a little bit. You may not know this, and so I will share with you, and then I'm gonna ask you to join me in a word of prayer, but there are some churches, uh, rather large ministries, here in Duval County that have had to cancel their in-person services altogether and go only online because of the number of outbreaks that they have had. Uh, one particular group uh, brought back their youth from youth camp and they had 60 young people with COVID and they had to close down their church for a while. We're trying not to do that. We're, uh, we're willing to make some slight adjustments to provide a safe environment. And one of these days, uh, somebody's gonna be watching this uh, video on YouTube and they're gonna be saying, what in the world went on back then? What was that COVID thing uh, that happened, Grandpa? Tell us. And uh, we, uh, we're looking forward to that day when it's all in the past. Can I get an amen? But right now, it is not in the past. It's current stuff. And uh, many of our people have been affected by it. And many of them are well coming back to church now. We thank God for that. We do have a dear, dear lady, however, who is in the hospital this morning. So we're going to lift up Miss Faye. And we're going to pray for her right now together as a church. And we're going to pray for others that might come to your mind and your heart that you are aware of that need the Lord to touch. And would you mind uh, represent them by an uplifted hand? Somebody that you know of? Oh, wow. There's a lot of them. Okay. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come and pray. And Lord, I thank you for a praying church, a people who know how to get before you, Lord, and ask you to do what only you can do. And we lift up Miss Faye to you today, Lord. We pray for your strength, Lord, for your healing hand on her. And God, I pray for others. I want to thank you and praise you that you have healed many and now they are back among us and doing better, Lord. We thank you for that. And we ask God, not only your healing hand, but we ask your protection, Lord, on your people who have not had this thing. I pray, God, you'd keep us safe and bless us. And Lord, we do not live by fear at all. We trust in you. And so we come to you today and we ask you to intervene, Lord, on our behalf and, and to interrupt the natural course of things in this world as we are taught that prayer uh, uh, employs you to do. And God, we thank you. Ask now, God, you bless us, meet with us in power and in might. Uh, whether people are joining us online or here in this very building, Lord, may we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter five, we have this tremendous story. And uh, let me do a little bit of reading to you, okay? Let's begin in verse number one. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, now, Gennesaret, don't be confused by that. 
This is the same body of water called the Sea of Galilee or uh, the Lake of Tiberias and other texts. So we're still talking about this one huge lake, body of water there in Israel. Verse two, and, I, and, and the Bible says, uh, he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, I'm gonna stop reading there, but what I'd like to do with you is focus in on the first part of that last verse I read. Anyway, verse five, uh, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. What, uh, what we're gonna see here is that Peter is in need of revival and the, the fishermen, the disciples are in need of revival. And maybe you're in that sort of a place yourself. Uh, someone put together a, a short list, humorously so, of those who may be in need of revival. They said, your church may need revival if No Doze has offered to open a franchise in your church foyer. They went on to say, uh, if you can name who's left on the bachelorette but can't name at least six of the 12 apostles, you might be in need of a revival. If you think Amazing Grace is the girl's name on the praise team that can really sing, you might be in need of revival, they went on to say. On a more serious note, it has been said, uh, if you can find time for sports and recreation but can't find time for Bible study or worship, you might need, be in need of revival. If you can recall, or can't recall rather, the last time you wept over somebody who was lost, you might be in need of revival. If you've become somewhat apathetical toward little sins like complaining, gossiping, selfishness, perhaps we are in need of revival. So I'm not sure where you are, and I want to make this very clear to you as I begin this sermon today. Um, I'm not really preaching on the topic of corporate revival. I believe this. I think the church takes on the personality of its people. So if our people are individually revived, what do you think is going to happen at the church? Well, there's going to be revival. And so I want to encourage you not to look so much at, at the whole body known as the church, but rather at yourself being on board of the church. Now, last week we mentioned, uh, and throughout this series, we're talking about the church, looking at the church using the analogy or the illustration that the church is like a ship. Last week we talked about it being like a battleship. Today, you probably guessed by the text, we're going to be looking at it more like a fishing boat. And so I hope that you'll bear with us as we go through this. I want to give you six steps to revival. All of these take place in this story. We're going to read a little bit more of the text, and then I'm going to go back and go over them with you, okay? So let's pick up in verse six in Luke chapter five. If you're there, say, I'm there. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Now notice what the next verse tells us. Verse 11, that'll end our reading for this morning. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. You know, one of the uh, most difficult things about studying or looking at revival is many times when we need it the most, we do not recognize that we need it. So I'm gonna ask you to do something here for just a moment in your own mind and in your own heart. I'm gonna ask you just to pray silently uh, to the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, would you do that today? Just a simple little prayer. It sounds, it sounds something like this. Uh, Dear Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me if I am in need of revival? Would you do that? And, and open yourself up to that and the teaching and leading of the Holy Spirit today. Because quite honestly, many of us do not see it. We don't realize. And, and that can be one of the characteristics of being in need of revival is when we simply don't think we are. It's for everybody else. How many times have we sat in a church service or listened to a sermon and thought, boy, I wish so-and-so could have heard that one. It's as though God didn't know who would be present. And, uh, and so I wanna ask you to open yourself up to what the Holy Spirit may have for you today, okay? Let's dive right in with these uh, six steps. The first one we're gonna call the appetite step. And we're gonna use this phrase in your study sheet. You'll have a place you can fill in this word, appetite as the first step, and then also in this sentence, we must have an appetite for the word of God. If you're gonna have revival, if revival is going to come, you've got to hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's what Jesus said in the uh, teaching of the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes, uh, the scriptures tell us that. So, so here we have, they are pressing on him, the Bible says, verse one. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. That is, they were eager to hear what God has to say. That word pressed means there was an urgency there. They imposed on him. It was as though they were not gonna let him get away until he taught them something. Now, it's interesting to me that the Bible tells us he sat in the boat and uh, drifted off a little bit from the land. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he began to teach, but the Bible doesn't tell us what he taught. Does not give us insight as to what this particular lesson was but the people wanted to hear from God. The book of Amos contains a unique passage in Amos chapter eight uh, and beginning in verse 11, it reads this way. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. There ought to be something in us when we have been away from the teaching and preaching of the word of God, there ought to be something in us that cries out for that in our life. If it's not there, we're in need of revival. It starts there with a hunger for the word of God. If you can go a space without being in the book, if you can go a while without listening to the teaching, if you can go a while without praying like these people were praying, God, tell us something. Let me hear from you. If you can do that, then we are in need, serious need of revival. The Bible gives us verses like this, and you've probably heard them before. First Peter 2 and verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. 
You ever seen a hungry child? Can I get an amen? Oh my goodness. They cry out. They will not be quiet until they are fed. Can I get an aha or an amen? The Bible says that's the way we ought to be toward the word of God as newborn babes crying out for the things of God. If you can live with it or live without it, something's wrong. Huh? If there's not a deep-seated desire within you, an urgency, I gotta spend a little time with God today. Hey, leave me alone, I gotta spend a little time. If, if you're, listen, if you are checking your Facebook before you go to the word of God, something's wrong. If you're busy doing all kinds of email before you're sitting down with God and listening to him, I could say if you're doing your email before you do your knee mail, something's wrong. Something's wrong. They had this urgency about them. Matthew chapter five, verse six is the verse I quoted earlier. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Now the word of God tells us that God is looking for two things in worshipers today. Jesus said it in John chapter four, verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. You wanna know what God is looking for? Now, now let, me, let me just say this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on with you in a minute because I got five more points to make with you and limited time. By the way, if you set your alarm for the pastor, you're in need of revival. I just wanna throw that out there. I read somewhere that if you have to use a calendar to track your pastor's sermon, he's in need of revival. So uh, for whatever that's worth, but, uh, but uh, uh, the, uh, the scriptures tell us that God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. We, we have a tendency to live in a culture, everybody's looking for something they want in the church, when in fact we ought to be paying attention to what God wants in his worshiper. Does the church do this? Does the church do that? No, 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 wait, wait. Do you do that or do you do this? Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Both should be very important to us. Let's not lose focus of this. You can get so far over into the spirit that you ignore the truth or you can get so far into the truth that you ignore the spirit and the Bible tells us God is looking for both in us. We ought to be concerned that we're in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, and you ought to be in one. If you're watching this online, you ought to be in one. I'm saying you ought to be associated with and affiliated with. If you're in this church, I'm gonna tell you you're gonna get the word of God. You're gonna get it from the time that you're real little. In the children's classes, you're gonna get it all up through the life group classes, and we're pretty particular about that. We think that we ought to be listening to God and his word, not just the philosophizing of man and all the character studies that people are trying to do today. I heard a statistic this past week. I didn't research it, so forgive me if you fact check and find out it is not correct, but I will tell you this, that people are falling away from church. That I do know. People are falling away from church and it's not just COVID that's causing it. It's been happening long before that. They're falling away. And many young people, there has been this, this, uh, uh, this stat for a very long time, teenagers who are growing up in church and then suddenly when they are at a certain age, they begin to drift away and they won't come back. And the statistic is this, that three out of five never come back 
And the reason that some have said that is the case is because many of them are not getting and not learning the word of God. What they're learning is they should be a good person. And they're finding out they can be a good person anywhere they are. But you cannot be a godly person without the word of God. You cannot be what God would have you be without the word of God. And so it brings us back to the emphasis on the truth and the word of God. When I look at this text, I find there are two empty boats. And I want to say to you, I believe they represent churches today. Churches are becoming more and more empty, it seems. And it's not COVID, let's face it. The malls are still crowded. The stores are still crowded. You can have a sale and all of a sudden people show up. I've noticed that Lowe's and Home Depot are still pretty crowded. I was in there this week. And I ran into some of the people from our church. And so I run into people all the time out in public who say, well, you know, pastor, I'm planning on getting back in church. Really? Did you say that about getting back to Lowe's or back to Home Depot or back to the restaurant? Is that your, is that, you can be just as safe here as you can anywhere else. You can take the same precautions anywhere else. I got a second point. Point number two, the adjustment step. And in the sentence, if you're taking notes, we must make adjustments in our lives in order to learn. I love this about this text. When the Holy Spirit showed it to me, I want to give it to you. If you look down in, uh, uh, let's see, verse number three, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. That's the adjustment. It's a small adjustment. Do you see what Jesus, listen, listen to this, do you see what Jesus is using the boat for? He's using it as a tool to teach. Isn't that what the church is supposed to be used for? One of the things? Man, that's it. The fishing boat was being used as a tool to teach. Now, this was an acoustical matter. If you go out a little bit into the, uh, into the lake, just off the shore, now his voice would carry. It would carry over the water and he could speak to a large multitude of people. Jesus wanted to reach them. They wanted to hear from him and he wanted to tell them his word. So he taught them. So Simon is asked, listen to this, please. He's asked to make a very small adjustment. That is often what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit will come to you and he'll ask you, will you do this? It's a simple little thing. If we rebel against the simple things, do you think he's gonna give you greater things to do? If it's in our heart and mind, no, I don't think so. No, I'm not gonna do that. Simon got in the boat. They were not in the boat. He got in the boat after Jesus was in the boat and he did what he said. He, he went out a little bit from land and God used the boat to teach just like he wants to use the church as a tool to teach. Joining a Bible study, a life group, being a part of, of uh, uh, the studies that we do, uh, we can't help but learn. And, we, and that ought to be the reason we make those adjustments in our lives. As we learn, we should make adjustments in our life. We, we should not stay, listen, come to Jesus any way you are. We, we understand that, but you will leave different. You should. Let's not leave the same. Come to Christ any way you are, but let him do a work in you. Slight adjustments in your life. Well, the next thing he says in verse number four, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a, couch, for a catch. Not a couch, don't do that. 
By the way, you might, uh, you might be in need of revival if your, uh, if your church seating attire involves pillows and blankets. I read that somewhere. But, um, but in any way, uh, what, what I'm getting at is this. If they had not moved out a little, do you think they could have launched out into the deep? Do you know that God wants to take you on a journey in your life that you have never been on before? He wants to show you stuff he's never shown you before. But if you will not move out a little, you will never launch out into the deep. And some who have moved a little refuse to launch out into the deep. What goes on out there, you've never seen. But if you can't trust God in the little, how can you trust him in the deep? Now, I love this about Peter. Peter is a man who often speaks before he thinks. Can I get an amen or an uh uh-huh? I think we love Peter because we can identify with Peter so well. Peter just blurts out, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, they were doing something already. If you go back to... uh, Verse two, the Bible says, uh, they saw, or Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake. The fishermen had gone out with them and they were washing their nets. So here's what, here's what I wanna give you. I'm gonna break this down in these little adjustments. Number one, some of us might need to stop doing what we're doing to hear from God. They were washing their nets, they were busy. Simon, I would like to use your boat. I'm busy, Lord. No, no, no. I have to stop doing what I'm doing so I can hear from him. And then there is this little movement. Just move a little. Are you willing to move a little? Are you willing to to dedicate your, your heart and mind to prayer? Are you willing to do things you haven't done? Some people have never been to a midweek Bible study. Other people have been and now they don't go anymore. Are you willing to move a little? Some people will never join a life group. Why? Why not? Well, I used to be here. I don't think I should. Will you move just a little? How can you ever experience the deep and the blessings that are involved in the deep if you will not move just a little? Listen. So stop doing some things, move just a little and listen. There may have been something said in that lesson that made Peter stop and realize, you know something? I don't really want to do what what Jesus is asking me to do. We've been out there all night, but I'll do it. I'll go ahead and do it. What we find in this text is a reluctant response. It's respectful, but there's a reluctance. You ever have where the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and you say, well, you know, I just don't, I just don't want it. Well, okay, I'll go ahead. I'll just try it and I don't really feel like it, but I'll do it. That's what you have in this text. Launch out into the deep and lower your nets. Number three on the list is the agreement step. We must be in agreement on board with Jesus. This is so very important. I hope that you'll catch this. Write it down in your notes. It's the agreement step. We must be in agreement on board with Jesus. Now, I get this all the time, but I'm sure this is gonna come as a shock to you, and I'm really glad you're sitting down, but people disagree with me a lot. 
I'm glad you're seated because you would have fallen. I know you would have fainted. That was really something hard. People disagree with me a lot. Listen, I, I really, I have got to this place in my life. It bothers me a little. To say that it doesn't bother me would probably be a lie. So it bothers me, but it doesn't nearly bother me as much as it used to. I'm kind of getting used to it. But I want to tell you something. You can disagree with me all you want, but when you disagree with God, now you're in trouble. And you better realize it. You better understand it. You can disagree with me all you want. Your opinion is as valuable as mine, but none of our opinions is equal with God's opinion. None of them. None of them. So I wanna caution you. We, we read last week and we studied last week out of Hebrews that Jesus is the captain of our boat. He's the captain. When he gives a directive, you better listen. When he tells you something, the Bible says, let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. We need to be in agreement with him. Peter was not in agreement at first and he realized what he had said. You ever said something and as it's coming out of your mouth, you thought, wow, did I just say that? Was I, let me correct that. I think that's what happens in this text. Master, we have toiled all night and called nothing. Now let's break that statement down for a moment. This is important. Because he follows it with, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So he becomes in agreement. He's not in agreement initially. That's probably indicative of most of us when we hear the word of God taught. We don't necessarily agree. Well, I don't know about that one now. He's asking me to change this and he's going to alter that. And I got to make this adjustment. I don't know about that. I got to think about that one. I, I'm just, and then finally, well, nevertheless, Lord, if that's what you want, if that's the way to do this, if that's the way to grow in you, then I'm willing to do that. So let's break this phrase down into three parts. We have toiled. The Greek word used here literally means to become exhausted. We have toiled. We are exhausted. You ever been just exhausted? I mean, there's nothing in you. There's no strength in you. He's just exhausted. And then he said, all night. They have not slept. They have been up all night. They've been at it a while. I mean, by this time, the fishermen are talking to the fishermen and they're making this statement. They are not biting. There is nothing out there today. They've all gone to a certain place and we can't find them. They've, they've convinced themselves. They, they've done this. And then he said, we've caught nothing. It's been unproductive. Not only were they fatigued, but they felt like failures, man. We have had nothing to show for it. And you want us to do what? Do you agree with him or not? We sang that song a moment ago that he is working even when we don't know it, even when we can't see it. Do you understand that? You understand that God can do what, what we cannot do? You understand that God can handle things that we cannot handle? Do you, do you understand that, that, that if God tells you to do something, you'd be much better off if you just did it and you followed him? Even if you've tried it in your own strength all night or all year or all your life, it's better to do it his way. Revival causes us to be in agreement with him. Nevertheless, at your word, we will do it. I love the way the, uh, the New King James puts that, at your word, I will let down the net. It implies a couple of things. It implies both obedience and timing. 
Okay, we're gonna do what you say. We're launching. Here we go. Now, when you tell us to throw the net, I'll throw the net. Timing. It's important that we obey God, but it's also important that on our journey, we are sensitive to when he is telling us to do what. They could have just started throwing it again, but it wasn't when he said. So they waited until he said it. And when he said it, verse six says, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Now, fishing for the disciples at this point in their life, this was their business. That's what they were. They were fishermen. And James and John were their partners. They had the, uh, I'm sure the, the latest of nets and the latest of boats and they knew what they were doing. It's not as though they were out on the sea the night before and didn't know what they were doing. They were not novices and, and people just going out for some fun. They made their living off of this. So here they are with this huge catch because they simply did it the way God said do it. That's important. Agreement. One of the stories in the Bible that I'm often intrigued with is when Jesus is at the wedding at Cana in John chapter two. And it appears from the text, and we studied this on a Wednesday night, those of you that were with us in our study, you might recall, it appears as though Mary must have had uh, some sort of role in um, uh, the wedding program and uh, she must have been in charge of something uh, for these who were being wedded. So when they ran out of wine, Mary comes to Jesus, the mother of Jesus, and he tells, or she tells him the problem. She doesn't ask anything of him in the text. She just tells him the problem. I, I love that in the story. And then he questions her. He, he makes a statement to her that uh, would almost sound disrespectful. It's not, if you understand the text and the time, but uh, he basically says, look, what, it, you want me to expose who I am in front of all these people and it's not time yet and, and is what he's indicating. And then she looks at the servants and she makes this statement in John 2 and verse 5. Listen to these words. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now this is the first recorded miracle of Jesus. But how does Mary know that? How does Mary know? She looks at the servants and she says, look, don't ask me why, just do it. Whatever he says, it'll work out. I love that about, I don't know if they were sitting at the table one day and they needed an extra roll and, and Jesus just broke off another one. I don't know. I really don't. I don't know if they needed to get from one side of the lake or the other and he carried his mama across on the water. I don't know. I really don't. I just know that somewhere in Mary's heart, she knew that whatever Jesus said, you are best to simply do it. Wow. Whatever happened to the simple faith, the childlike faith in our lives? where now we question him more than we've ever questioned him. We disagree with him more than we've ever disagreed with him. And we are probably more in need of revival than we have ever been in need of revival. And we don't even realize it most of the time. 
Number four on the list. We're gonna call it the astonishment step. Astonishment. We must never cease to be astonished with the blessings of God. Never cease to be astonished with the blessings of God. So the Bible tells us when this happened and their net was breaking, uh, it seemed as though it would break, that they loaded both ships, uh, the Bible says, both boats in verse seven. So they signaled to their partners and the other boat came and uh, they filled them up uh, so that their boats began to sink. This is a huge catch of fish, huge, huge. And so now the Bible tells us, if you look at this in verse nine, uh, and he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch astonished. As a matter of fact, this astonishment resulted back in verse number eight of Simon Peter falling at the knees of Jesus and saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know what I think happens sometimes in our lives? Bear with me a moment as I deal with this. We lose sight of who Jesus is. We forget what he has done. We forget that he is the son of God enfleshed, that he has become incarnate. He died on the cross for us and he is now uh, seated at the right hand of the father and, and the spirit of the son lives within us and we forget what he has done and what he can do. We forget he's the same one who spoke and the worlds were. He's the same one who died on that cross and forgave us of all of our sin. There was a time in our life, may I suggest this? There was a time in our life, if you have been born again, that you were in somewhat of an astonishment with him. What happened? He's the same God. What happened? We don't realize we're in need of revival. We've lost the awe of who he is. This week, uh, my grandchildren were sick and uh, pretty bad, and they had taken several trips to the doctors and even to the ER. Uh, these are my grandchildren in Texas, um, and uh, they didn't know what they had. They, we suspected, as, as you probably would, you know, is it COVID? Everybody asked that question. It was not. Turned out to be an RSV, uh, a, a very uh, uh, contagious virus. And it was not seemingly getting better. And, and my grandson developed a rather large whelp under one eye. And uh, we received a picture of him. And my wife and I, of course, our hearts just broke. And, and we began to pray. We didn't know what it was, why it was. Uh, we are, like many of you, we are expert doctors, thanks to Google. And uh, uh, so we Googled everything and we found out a variety of things it could have been. And, and so they went back to the doctors and finally, I think it was the third trip in, uh, they found out that both of our grandchildren had strep throat and that's what was causing that. And, and so they finally got them on the right medication after, after fevers of 104 and 103.9, after. When your kids and your grandkids are going through that, what do you do? You just pour your heart out to God, man. And you say, God, will you do something here? Intervene, allow them, the, the right person to check them, do whatever they need to do. And, and, and suddenly uh, they, they received, I think, a blessing from God. My wife came to me and she said, look at this. This is just really a miracle. 
that, that his eye is so much better. It looks like it never was this way. And she said, she said, I, I'm just amazed at God. Now we've been saved a long time, but I'm gonna tell you something. When you lose the amazement of God, you're in need of revival. When is the last time you bowed before him and just said, God, I'm just in awe of who you are and what you've done. The astonishment. When you see him as he is, you will see yourself as you are, which is indicated by Peter. I am a sinful man. This is also seen in the book of Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah said, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He went on to say in verse number five, he cried out, I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. So I ask you this question today, encouraging you to seek and to desire to hear from God and to to ask him to bring revival to your heart individually today. But I ask you this question, when is the last time that you were in such awe of his holiness that you felt the unworthiness of just being a sinner saved by grace? The last time you went before God and said, God, I'm undeserving of approaching you. But I read in your word how you made me accepted in the beloved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't we thankful for that? Ephesians reminds us of that. Paul wrote that down for us to understand that you are made worthy only by the blood of Jesus Christ. We do not come before a holy God because we are deserving. We come because God loved us so much. He gave himself for us and because of his grace is why we can come. Never lose the astonishment who he is. Mark uh, chapter two records one of the healing miracles of Jesus. And there's a phrase there that um, I'd like to liken to uh, what Peter saw that day when they were fishing. In Mark two and verse 12, the Bible says, he immediately arose, took up his bed and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. (laughs) I love that. When's the last time God did something and you said, wow, I've never seen God do anything like that. Never seen it. That's crazy. That's something. Yeah, I've never seen that before. I'm telling you, all those fishermen on that boat that day, they're dragging the fish in and they're looking over there at Jesus and they're thinking what? We've never seen it like this before. So what if you didn't go out on the boat? So what if you didn't launch into the deep? So what if you stuck to your story of being fatigued and a failure? So what if you decided, look, I'm washing my nets. I'll go out later. So what if you don't get on board? You miss the astonishment step that leads to revival. Number five, the acknowledgement step. We must acknowledge our sinfulness when we see his holiness. Now, I've already mentioned a great deal of that to you, but let me reiterate it, the acknowledgement step. When we see his holiness, we acknowledge our own sinfulness. We catch a glimpse of him, James chapter one, And verse 23 reads this way. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. 
But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So the Bible is telling us that the word of God is like a mirror. Now mirrors are are interesting things. Have you ever been in conversation with somebody? Perhaps you've been sitting there and you've been eating your salad and your meal and then you get up to go to the restroom and, and uh, before you leave, you've been in conversation with this person for quite some time at the table and you look into the mirror in the bathroom and you realize that you have a piece of spinach on that front tooth and it's been sitting there all along and the friend that you're with didn't bother to tell you about it, but they thought it was rather interesting. Has that ever happened to you? Anything like that ever happened to you? Aren't you thankful for friends who will call you aside and say, hey, let me help you with this. You, you got a little problem here. Let me, let me tell you what's going on. And, and the word of God, the Bible says, is like that mirror. It shows you how we really are. Doers of the word make adjustments and acknowledgements when we see that, but others will see it and go their way and forget it and never do anything about it. You'll never have revival without the acknowledgement step. This last one I wanna share with you is uh, probably the most difficult of all that we've talked about. Number six, the abandonment step. We must abandon the things that are keeping us from following Jesus. Revival only happens when there is a level of abandonment. I'm not saying, and and please understand me, I'm not saying everybody here needs to leave their career and become a missionary, although someone here or listening to this, God may be calling to do just that. I'm not saying that everybody here needs to surrender to ministry and work with kids or work with adults, whatever it may be, but some listening may need to do that. There's always with any form of commitment, any form of commitment, there is a certain amount of abandonment that takes place. So the Bible tells us that after this windfall catch, after all that this has happened, they have never had a fishing day like this day. They've never had it. And then the Bible says, Jesus told them, at the end of verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all and followed him. What are you willing to give up to do the things God would have you do? Better yet, what are the things that are standing in your way? of being able to simply follow Christ. What are they? What are they? I I can't begin to imagine what yours are, but the Holy Spirit can show you. He can tell you if you're open to it. Revival will not take place in our life. A, A ministry cannot be fulfilled. A calling cannot be fulfilled until there has been a certain level of abandonment. What are you not willing to leave? What is it that is causing you not to trust? The disciples by this time had seen enough. They had seen enough of the wonder working power of God to know 
he could provide for them. What will it take for you to understand that? I'm not sure that God's calling you to ministry, but maybe he is. I'm not sure that God is calling you to do anything other than just sit out a little from the land. Maybe you're washing the nets and you're staying awful busy, but it's time you've been distracted. It's time you just listen to what God has to say. I don't know. But I wanna offer you a bit of a dare prayer. Would you dare stand before God today and say, revive me, oh God. Revive me, oh God. Would you bow with me please in prayer? Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your word. God, we are amazed as we study a text like this, how you worked in the lives of the disciples. We're astonished. Help us to always be astonished at your goodness, at your awesomeness. May we come before you today, Lord, and pray such a prayer. Revive us. More personally, revive me. God, I pray you would do a work in us that you might do a work through us. God, may we hunger and thirst to hear you speak. May our prayer lives be enhanced. May the priority of your day be such in our lives that nothing else will stand in the way. May we reorder our steps according to your word. May we train up the next generation to know how important it is to worship, to gather, to praise you. May you bless us. Revive us, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today and you'd like to come to the altar and pray, I want to encourage you to do that. I'm not real sure beyond just presenting this scripture to you what God may be telling you individually. But I said at the beginning and I want to reiterate now, let us focus on individual revival. Yes, pray for the church, that's true but seek revival of your own heart and revival of the church will come. Would you stand with me, please, while we pray? God bless you.